0: The fact that we didn't have a nuclear war was not how things had to go. It was the hard work of many, you know, smart, hardworking, you know, military officials and diplomats and scientists and, you know, many, many people around the world worked very, very hard so that we didn't end in a nuclear war. And but it didn't have to go that way. We got lucky. In the same way, AI can be the best thing to ever happen to us, but it doesn't happen for free. It doesn't happen by default.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Steven Parton and you're listening to The Feedback Loop by Singularity. Before we jump into today's episode, I'm excited to share a bit of news. First, I'll be heading to South by Southwest in Austin on March 14th for an exclusive singularity event at The Contemporary, a stunning modern art gallery that is in the heart of downtown Austin. This will include a full day of connections, discussions, and inspiration with coffee and snacks throughout the day with an open bar celebration at night. So if you're heading to South by and you're interested in joining me and having some discussions, meeting our community of experts and change makers, then you can go to su.org slash base dash South by Southwest, which I will link in the episode description. So you can sign up for this free invite only event. And just to note, it is not a marketing employee when I say that space is genuinely limited. So if you are serious about joining, you probably want to sign up as soon as you can and get one of those reserved spots. And in other news, we have a exciting opportunity for those of you with a track record of leadership who are focused on positive impact. Specifically, we're excited to announce that for 2023, we're giving away a full-ride scholarship to each one of our five very renowned executive programs, where you can get all kinds of hands-on training and experience with world-leading experts. You can find the link to that also in the episode description. And once more, time is of the essence here because the application deadline is on March 15th, And now on to this week's guest, AI researcher and founder of Conjecture, Connor Leahy, who is dedicated to studying AI alignment. The AI alignment research focuses on gaining an understanding of how to build advanced AI systems that pursue the goals they were designed for instead of engaging in undesired behavior. Sometimes this just means ensuring that AI share the values and ethics that we have as humans so that our machines don't cause serious harm to humanity. And this episode kind of provides candid insights into the current state of the field, including the very concerning lack of funding and human resources that is going into studying this very important topic. Amongst many other things, we discuss how the research is conducted, the lessons that we can learn from animals, and the kind of policies and processes that humans need to put into place if we are to prevent what Connor currently sees as a highly plausible existential threat. So on that optimistic note, let's jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the Feedback Loop, Connor Leahy. To start, maybe you can just provide us a little bit of the background story that led you to founding Conjecture and a bit of uh, insight into your current efforts.
0: Yeah, so conjecture grew to a large degree out of my previous project with the Luther AI. So, Luther AI was the source community building um, you know, large language models and doing research and ML and such. They're still around, still doing great stuff. Um, I'm less involved nowadays than I was back then. And basically, while I was working with Luther AI, there's a lot of things I think you need to get done, like a lot of research that you need to get done. Um, you know, many, many important things to do. And well, you know, I I love the luther AI with all of my heart, but working in luther AI is, I would describe kind of like trying to herd cats while the cats are also the smartest people you've ever met and have crippling ADHD. Oh no. So it was, you know, if something exciting was going on and people wanted to work on something, it was truly magic. You know, like, you know, we build really, very complex software and, you know, train some of the largest open source models, you know, and some of the, you know, people still use these models. to so these days, um, you know, with like, you know, two or three people at a time or something, working on these things, you know, things that could take industry labs, you know, large groups of people to get done. Um, but if you have to do boring things, you know, and often a lot of work that needs to get done is quite boring. It can be very tricky. So, it, I basically realized at some point is that if you want to get people to do the boring things, you have to pay them. So, to a large degree, conjecture um, is a me being practical. It's just like, hey, all right. So, I think alignment and AI yeah, safety is the most important problem that I want to solve that I think is very important. Um, research is expensive. You have to pay people to do things, and you need like offices and computers and stuff. So let's make a company. And yeah, to answer your question about what are their goals in conjecture. So as I've already said, I, I'm pretty practical in the sense that what I want, I, I'm sure we talk about this a lot, is I think the alignment problem. So this is the problem of how do you make powerful advanced AI systems do what we want and not do what we don't want them to do. Um, this is, of course, a big topic. and There's many aspects to it. Um, but yeah, I think this is a very big problem. I think we're very far from solutions, especially at scale to very powerful systems. And a conjecture, the goal ultimately is to work on this problem. Say, how do we design powerful AI systems that you know can do useful and impressive things and reliably, you know, consistently you know, actually follow our wishes, actually do what humans want, and and how can we avoid these These systems are doing things we don't want them to do? So one of the questions on research I'm most interested in is, okay, how can we design systems that where, at the very least, we can, like, rule out that it will do X, or that, like, it will never, like, we can make a exhaustive list of things it can do, and that list will not be broken.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And... For people who may not be familiar, because this seems like a very nebulous and a most abstract task that you're setting yourself to, how does one really go about doing this alignment kind of research? Like, are you guys sitting around reading like Kant and Nietzsche in your spare time and then trying to code up something? Are you just creating these use cases where you're just trying to see if you can break a system and get the AI to go somewhere where you don't want it to go? Like, what is... Alignment research, this big umbrella term, really look like maybe in practical terms.
0: Yeah, so um, we don't only do alignment research.
1: You know, we're also mm-hmm. a
0: company. We also build tools. We train our own models. So we also train like you know large language models and how mm-hmm. that's like you know classic engineering type work as you'd find it in the other startup. Um, and the alignment work in particular. So there's many different types of alignment work. You know, and yeah. You know, so importantly, it's is that the field of alignment is really is really very small. It's the number of people working full time on this problem, rather than making AI stronger, is like less than 200, probably less than 100.
1: That's so scary.
0: It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Like we have thousands of the smartest people alive working on making AI as fa- as strong as possible, as fast as possible. But I would say we probably have less than 100 full time people trying to like actually control these things. Like so it is a um, it's a very strange like timeline we live in. It's like if like I understand how it got this way, but still it just feels like man, really like come on, we can do better than this. So so yeah. So as with any early field of science that's relatively small, that has you know um, you know there is founder effects and eccentricities, you know. So, like, there's a lot of eccentric people in the alignment field. Not that surprising, right? Whenever a new field emerges, whenever there's a small, you know, group of people trying something new, you have some eccentric people in there. So we have some people. So we have lots of different people trying very different things. Some people try very, very formal things. They try like, it's like there's people, for example, like Vanessa Kosai, who is trying to like prove mathematically how to like make a perfect AI system that does that can you know can never ever make any you know mistakes and exactly understands the user and like everything formal and mathematical, which is insanely difficult. And I don't know if that's possible, but it's interesting that you know someone is trying. There's other people that work in that field as so well. Other people just make do very pragmatic research as you describe, you know, building for example, people like Redwood Research, for example, uh use like language models and try to train them or like Filter them so they, for example, do not produce harmful or like um, violent output or whatever, and see how they can break that. Like, how can these filters be overcome? And once you find a way to overcome them, how can you make your filter robust to them? Whether you count this as alignment research is controversial uh, a little bit. Um, and, but um, another big area of research is interpretability, and this is one that we also do a lot of research on. So this is trying to understand how do neural networks actually work. Like What does the internal structure mean? How do they represent concepts? How do they make decisions? How do etc. et cetera? So this is something I'm very interested in, and we're very interested in conjecture. Not the only thing we're interested in. But it's one of the main areas of research that we're interested in is we look at uh, neural networks, which you know, you can imagine it's these massive tables of numbers that all get like multiplied and added to each other, and then you get some output. And there is a lot of structure. To these numbers but it still is like a billion of numbers just kind of you know there you know so there's a lot of structure but it's not easily understood structure it's not like a computer program written by a human it's way more like a computer program written by like alien an alien or by like evolution it can be look like dna you know if you look at like dna in, a, in, an, in an organism there's lots of structure there like there's lots of things you can figure out and or like proteins and stuff like there's lots of structure there is there is sense in the madness but it's still madness. It's still very, very complex system. That's not meant to be easily understood. So neural networks have the same like evolved kind of texture to it where it feels more like doing biology than it does like doing traditional computer science. Mm. So a lot of what we do is on the research side is yeah, we think about, okay, whatever experiments we could run to like try to understand what these things are doing internally. Sometimes we'll build like, very small toy models and then try to like, pick them apart piece by piece. Other times we'll take large pre trained models and try to like see how they fail at various tasks and see if we can find structure and like how these errors come about and like how we can develop, you know, hopefully a better theory. So this is still very early research. Like this is not, unfortunately, this is not the kind of thing that I expect to be solvable in like, oh, one year, two years or whatever. This is a massive undertaking. It's basically in developing new branch of science in a sense, or like, um, so the way I see things going in a good world, you know, where we actually solve this problem, we actually make you know great progress here and such is basically we need to develop a a science of intelligence. Mm. So like, there's like a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of theory about neural networks. Yes. And there's still like, you know, VC learning theory. And like, there's a little bit about like, you know, know, Bayesian optimality and like Bayesian statistics and stuff like this. There is a little bit of theory, but most of this doesn't really apply to like the kind of stuff we actually care about. And I don't yet know what this paradigm of science would be. So we're kind of pre-paradigmatic. We're in this funny world where our engineering is far ahead of our theory. This is not typical. Like steam engines were developed before we developed thermodynamics. You know, just by people concurring and trying things out, they found you know, ways of building very good steam engines at the time. And only much later did we develop the actual theory of thermodynamics to actually you know, quantify and understand these systems. So I think we're in the post-steam engine pre-thermodynamic stage mm-hmm. of like understanding intelligence and understanding AI. I expect that if we have enough time, if pre-singularity, you know, um, to... Do a lot more research on these kind of systems. I expect us to develop therm- the thermodynamics of AI, whatever that looks like. I don't, I don't think it would look like thermodynamics, it would probably look very different. And then using that, I think we would be able to build bounded and corrigible and safe and powerful systems that you know, you know, we build steam boilers that don't explode, you know. And we don't have to, you know, when steam boilers were first invented, they worked, but they were very dangerous. Like they would explode all the time and kill like twenty people. Like these are very dangerous machines, and I uh, we're you know luckily our AIs do not currently kill people.
1: Right. Currently. currently. You know, Knock
0: on wood. Knock on wood. You know that 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 stays that way for a while, but it's not unreasonable to believe that uh, uh, as these systems become more powerful, they will become more dangerous by default unless we have the appropriate safety measures. It's like steam boilers. You know, suddenly we have temperatures and pressures and like you know that didn't exist previously, like these weren't things people were used to dealing with. Like the pressure that exists inside of the steam boiler was not something that really existed in nature before then. It wasn't like it's a thing humans were used to dealing with, Or that we evolved, you know, you know, steam proof scales because in nature we were like resistant We of stuff. and This was a novel situation. We we're encountering a novel form of, you know, environment, a novel form of danger that, that you know, we eventually did overcome and we now, you know, steam boilers are very, very safe. We now know how to build very, very safe steam boilers, but it took a lot of time and a lot of exploded boilers. And that might be very problematic if the boiler in question is something a bit more powerful than that.
1: To to that end, are we coming across, or do you think we will come across new units of measurement, like new telltales that we can use to kind of figure out what's happening inside these systems?
0: I think so. I, I think a a truly good theory of intelligence should be able to put you know bacteria plants ants dogs humans and gpt3 on the same scale like these should all be it should be possible to put all of these on a objective you know not observer dependent uh, you know reasonable scale where everyone agrees okay this is a reasonable measurement scale of some kind i have no idea what the scale would look like i don't know what the units would be i don't know how you would construct this. But I expect, you know, if aliens from outer space that, you know, 2,000 years advance came down and they handed us the textbook for their science of AI, it would include something like this. Like, it would be like, oh, you know, AI is just a special case of an intelligence system. You also have like, you know, humans and, you know, E. coli and whatever, you know, they're all optimizers and there would be some kind of universal theory, but we're obviously far from that.
1: Well, to that end, are, are you looking to other animals, other organisms, um, I, I guess other forms of consciousness and, and intelligence to s- derive these models? Like the, can a bat or a rat or a primate or any of these, uh, you know, forms that exist in the world, are they helping you inform this research at all?
0: So for the research, we no. So we do pure computer science kind of engineering, experimental research you know, of course, you know, philosophically or inspirationally, I think is important. So, like, I, I think actually understanding, like, I think every AI researcher should read at least like one book about animal intelligence. If I can recommend one of them, I really like the book, Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are by Franz de It's a very good book. All of Franz de books are very good. And I think one of my favorite genres of, like, <laughs> my favorite genres of, like, um, philosophy professor like you know strawman philosophy professor are the kinds are uh, like philosophy of mind and like claim all these things about intelligence or about humans or whatever that could be completely disproven if they meet exactly one animal and just interact with an animal and saw like how many of these traits that they think are unique to humans animals have as well like you know chimps obviously have theory of mind like crows you know can obviously use tools like there's a lot of things i basically think that a lot of intelligence is quite universal or quite simple in a sense, like like I expect that not all, but most of human intelligence already existed in like some of the first vertebrates. It was just very small, you know, the same way that, you know, a you know tiny neural network from 20 years ago has most of the components of GPT-3, not all of them. There's, there's still several important things missing, but there's still a lot of core insights in like, you know, and a small, you know, feed, feed forward neural network and backprop that already like does contain a lot. So I particularly like um, to think uh, about chimps and especially chimps versus humans because it's pretty uncontroversial. Chimps are very close to humans in many, many ways. But like you can see our brains are larger, you know, more parameters, you know, but most of the structure is the same. Like it's very, very simple. Sure, there's some different hormones, and like, you know, you have a bit more of those cells, that's whatever. But structure is almost identical. Yet, humans go to the moon and chimps don't. So there is some difference. And I don't think, so I think this difference is quite small. Like, I think it exists. Like, there's obviously a difference between humans and chimps. But I think this difference in like, you know, space of algorithms, space of design space is like very small. And I think this is not super controversial to think. And I use this as a nice intuition pump when thinking about uh, AI. So, like, you know, sure, maybe our current AI systems are like pretty silly and pretty stupid. And, you know, they, they hallucinate stuff and they make mistakes and, you know, they can't really take actions and stuff. But I think intelligence is not linear. Like, it's not like you add one unit of effort and you get like one unit back. There are discontinuous returns in that. You know humans are probably not more than like you know three times more intelligent than chimps our brains are about three times as big right you know so we're maybe like three times as smart which is pretty smart but three chimps can't outthink a human you know three chimps can't go to if we had three times as many chimps as humans they don't go to the moon something so a very small algorithmic change and relatively small change in parameters can vastly change the resultant optimization pressure that can be employed in reality. So, you know, the difference between like, you know, GPT-2 and GPT-3 is like a factor of 10. So, you know, and, you know, maybe that's fine, but, and, you know, it just gets like better by a certain degree, but, you know, the difference between chimps and humans is about a factor of three.
1: Yeah. I have you, has there been any work that you know of that has tried to maybe capture some of the evolutionary ideas around what unlocked that intelligence. Specifically, I'm thinking of conversations around things like dual inheritance theory, which is like our our culture was a big driving force. And a lot of what makes our species so intelligent is the fact that we cooperate, that we talk to one another. Is there any work that you know of where we're having some of these like Adversarial or maybe cooperative interactions taking place between AIs, and seeing if maybe giving them value systems or hierarchies or like social dynamics that we can compel them to behave in certain ways.
0: There is work on this, but um, you know, uh, and I, I might call out in particular some of the shard theory work done by Alex Turner and such as like as work that I think is wrong, <laughs> and I think does not work, but I think it's interesting. So uh, you know. Shout out to Alex and Quinton for doing that work. Even so, I don't think it will work at all. I think it's worth trying, you know, it's interesting. Um, so there's several aspects of this. There's the aspects of like, okay, where does intelligence come from? How does it relate to like, like what are the features that made humans intelligent? And then there's the other question of human values. Like where do human values come from? What does cooperative mean? Like, you know, and I think these are quite, it's important actually to separate these. So one of the core things alignment I think is very important is that values and intelligence are separate. Like you can build a very intelligent system that does not want what you want. It can want whatever it wants, you know, the same way, you know, you can like the color blue or the colour green. Like, you know, it's not a difference to you. Like the same, but even more extremely so, especially the software system, right? You know, humans, we all agree on like, you know, some things, you know, like we kind of want to like not be in pain, you know, we kind of want to things to be like nice, you know. Most of us, except like some psychopaths, you know, want other people to be happy and such. So like you know we have like some things that we can agree on, but like the software system, I mean, you can want anything. You know, you just like type in the code. You know, okay, this system wants to collect rocks, and then that's just what it's gonna do. Like, why not? <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a piece of code, ultimately. So, uh, so this is called the orthogonality thesis. Is the kind of any system, I guess, just because a system becomes smart doesn't mean it will have converge in any set of values. Like It's not it will suddenly become a Nietzschean ubermensch and like, you know, or like, you know, see that Kant was actually correct or Christianity is the one true religion or anything like that. No, why would it? You know, it's, it will just do whatever it wants. You know, whatever you type in or, or whatever we didn't type it because currently we can't control these things like this at all. So why do humans become smart? I think a large amount of, of this is uh, Basically, that humans moved a massive amount of their cognition outside of their brain. So you take an individual human with no language, no parents, no upbringing, no society, nothing. He's smart for a, for a monkey. Like, still a very smart monkey. You know, they'll figure out how to, like, throw rocks and, you know, stuff like that. But, like, they won't figure out fire magically, you know, if no one teaches them. They won't spontaneously know how to do that, you know. They won't. Spontaneously, you know, learn many things per se. They won't know which, you know, um, many traditional cultures, you know, have incredible knowledge of like, plants and animals, and they'll know what you can eat and what you can't. But that was all found out the hard way. At some point, you know, someone ate the mushroom and got sick from it, and then they told the others. So, in a sense, I think the adaptation—if I had to pick one adaptation, sort of speak—that makes humans human is that we have means. This is in the in the Richard Dawkins sense. We have mimetic pieces of information, same we have a genetic pieces of information. And I think most of human evolution nowadays happens through memes, not through genes. So if I met like you know my Paleolithic ancestor, you know, we're not genetically that different. You know, sure they'll you know, probably be like hairier, and bigger than me maybe or whatever, but like mostly we're we not that different. But memetically we would be vastly different. You know, my Like if I did logic tasks with it more like, you know, linguistic tasks or something, this would be something that my ancestors would do very, very poorly on compared to me. And, you know, I, you know, I know many facts and I know how many algorithms in my head that I didn't with. You know, I can't come up with all computer science by myself. I'm not that smart. But other people can. I can learn. it, So I can. So I, I know more about computer science than Alan Turing. It's not because I'm smarter than Alan Turing. I don't think I am. But it I it was other smart people pre-digested this and it was passed down to me. So humans move from a genetic evolutionary uh, you know mechanism to a memetic kind of evolution. But we're kind of in between because we're still ultimately biological creatures, you know. We still have genes, it's still important, you know. And you know, if you get bonked on the head really hard, then all those memes aren't gonna help you, you know, you're still screwed. So we're still biological creatures, but we're like the in-between stage, for the in-between between biological and mimetic. And so an AI is a purely mimetic creature. So this is, this is the next step in a sense, is that we're going from the biological to the intermediate to the purely mimetic. Like even the AI body or brain, quote unquote, is itself just code, just means. It's, it's just information. It's completely abstracted away from any kind of biological you know, uh, happenstance. So this is also why I expect AI systems to evolve faster than humans, much, much much faster. It will just like, cause like with humans, you know, if you want to tweak anything about the hardware, you have to wait at least a generation, if not many generations, but it's much simpler with an AI system. You just run the new thing, just train on some different data. You can just change its architecture. Lots of things you can do here.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned in the beginning of that about the disconnect between values and intelligence. Um, and I, I forget what your example was, but, you know, basically an arbitrary goal and and one kind of cliche question, but I think one worth asking is, is the paperclip scenario one that you think is realistic that an AI might, you know, try to break apart all the atoms in the universe to make paperclips. If we tell it that's what it wants to do, like, do you think that that is a, a realistic apocalypse worth being afraid of? So. There is several versions of the
0: paperclip maximizer story, I'm going to tell you the version that I like. So, there's a version of the story that I I think is better, which is, um, in, so in the original story, it's like you have a paperclip factory, and you tell it to like build paperclips, and it destroys everything. I, I, I want to put that one to side for a moment and instead tell a different version of the story. In this other version of the story, we have some kind of AI. We build some AGI system. Let's say we're you know we're one of the we're the richest billionaire in the world we hire all the best AI researchers in the world, they buy the biggest computer in the world, stick them all in a room, and we're like, all right, build me an AI that makes me the most money possible. And they're like, all right, let's let's see what we can do. Throw a bunch of stuff together, you know, someone's, you know, high on Diet Coke and Red Bull, you know, late at night, figures out some clever algorithm trick or whatever, you know, it's probably not gonna be one discreet event, but like, you know, we figure out some new algorithms, we have this big computer, Try a bunch of data, stuff on it. We you know leave it running over holidays or whatever, and then we come back to some system that um, you know. So we gave it some goal, and how? But we have to like actually cash that out. What does it mean to give something goal? Currently, we actually don't know how to do this. So currently, for example, systems of chat ChatGPT, the way we you know, for example, OpenAI doesn't want ChatGPT to, to insult the users. Reasonable thing they would want it not to do. Still, as everyone I think probably knows by now, there are prompts you can give ChatGPT that will make it insult the user or you know say politically incorrect things or whatever. Um, so the way these systems were trained is using a method called RLHF or reinforcement learning from human feedback. So what you could do is is you give the model so this is not exactly correct but it's close enough. Basically, you give the model a bunch of you, you show it a bunch of text and, uh, you know, various outputs for questions or whatever, and you have humans label them thumbs up and thumbs down. And then you train the model to be more likely to output thumbs up stuff and less likely to output thumbs down stuff. It's not exactly, but like close enough. So, you know, this is, yeah, it's pretty useful. Like this, like chat GPT is pretty great. You know, it's a pretty cool model, it's pretty useful. It's mostly very polite, you know, almost to a fault. Um, pretty good, but I'm sure you could tell that like, well, this isn't really us exactly writing a goal so much as vaguely gesturing towards one, you know? So we might have um, a system that, you know, we are training in this regard and we are, you know, there's all kinds of correlations exist in this data. Like, it's not like we're like writing down in code, here's what humans want. It's more like, here's some stuff humans like, and they don't like this stuff, sort of. But the model can interpret this in any way. For example, an experiment we did with a uh, conjecture was an earlier version of, the, uh, of GPT models. Is we found if you asked one version of the model for a random number, it would give you a pretty random distribution of numbers. But if you asked it for a, uh, but if you asked an instruct-fine-tuned version of the model for a random number, it would almost always give you one or two numbers. So you know, I don't think they intentionally tried to make the model you know, prefer these numbers. I think it was probably just, you know, somewhere in the training day that these numbers were, happened to be some more of them or they got a bit more thumbs up or whatever. So now the model thought to itself, well, these are my favorite numbers now, you know, those got thumbs up before, so these are not my favorite numbers. So if anyone asks me for numbers, I want these ones. So I, I, I'm telling you these, these examples because it's kind of important to get the, the feeling that it's not like someone sitting down at a console and being like, your goal is to maximize shareholder value or to be nice to users. It's way more vague and kind of like messy. So back to our story, we have our, our scientists boot up the system and they give them like thumbs up when the bank you know, account number goes up or a thumbs up when stock value goes up or like whatever, right? So it gets like some associations, with it, right? So maybe the, the system boots up, you know, it starts, you know, I don't know, Buy some cryptocurrency or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. But let's let's let it cook. You know, let's let let the machine cook. Let's see what we can do. And then, you know, for some reason, two days later, the market crashes and it sells. And we're and we're like, oh wow, it made a ton of money. Cool. It must have like learned from the internet, like it predicted that people are gonna, you know, sell soon. And so it like took a position that made a lot of money. So we're like, wow, awesome. This system's great. Let's uh give it more compute, let's let it run for more. So now we have some system, but to be clear, no such system currently exists. It's like as sophisticated as the system I'm describing, but people are trying to build these systems. It's also very important to remember. So this system goes online, it scrolls through the internet, maybe it like messages people and asks them questions It gathers information, you know, it, you know, simulates stuff in its head. It does like all kinds of stuff to like, you know, do whatever it's going to do. And so at first maybe this is great you know it starts you know it trades cryptocurrencies or stocks or whatever but then eventually we, we notice like oh shit it's messaging people threatening stuff on twitter telling them to send a bitcoin otherwise it's gonna like you know murder them or something well that's no good why did it do that we didn't want it to do that well what happened was is that the system just simulated a bunch of timelines so it's like okay well if i contact this person and i say Hi, um, you know, I'm a friendly chatbot, what happens? Well, person's not gonna be super interested in that. What if I say, hey, I know where your family lives, here's their address, send me money. Oh, then I get more money if I do this, awesome. So then it chooses this path. It's not because it's evil or because it's conscious or anything, it's nothing of the sorts. It's just optimizing something and it's it. So now this keeps going, let's assume we don't catch it or like, you know, or we catch it, we shut it down, we apply a few patches, Stops doing the thing, you know, we send it some thumbs downs and then we're like, all right, it's probably fine. So let's assume we do that. You know, we send it some thumbs down, like, no, 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 don't threaten people. let's us Don't do that. Well, then maybe it'll stop doing it. Let's say like we're optimistic and stop doing that. But like what it could do is so whenever you give it a signal of, you know, thumbs down threatening people, it gives it a signal for two things. One, stop threatening people, and two, stop being caught threatening people. Either of those are fine. from the perspective because you know humans can only label what they see so maybe the model now just hides how it threatens people makes it super low key or like does it through proxies or whatever if people if humans don't label the deception then why then it's just like well this seems to be legal why would it not be you know so now we have some system that's you know doing more and more secret things you know every time we catch it doing something bad we can maybe stop it maybe but now it's it's getting better, and better at lying to people, it's getting better and better at hiding things, it's getting better and better at all these kinds of things. So over time we've built some very powerful system that understands how the world works, that understands how humans work, that can manipulate humans, that can lie to humans, that can like hide information from humans. And now eventually made this system thinks, you know, again, just thinking, just simulating possible actions it can take. And thinks, well, you know, if I was smarter. I could take even better actions. So maybe I should, you know, just like do a bunch of computer science research and like figure out how to make a better AI system. So then it thinks a bunch, you know, because it's super smart, has access to all the internet, you know, it like figures out much better code. So it shuts itself down and runs the better code. Some of the systems 10 times as smart, or you know, even just 20% smarter, doesn't matter. And then you know, it starts training out more data or You know, maybe it uses all its Bitcoin to buy more, you know, compute somewhere in China or something so it can run more copies of itself or whatever. Eventually, we have potentially very suddenly, we could have a system that is very distributed. You know, it runs copies of itself on various systems. It's very smart. It was built to be smart. Again, it's not like a miracle that it suddenly became smart. No, like we we designed it to do this. Like this is a thing that the smartest people in the world are currently trying to do. People are actively pouring billions of dollars trying to design systems like this. And so, and then, so at some point here, things go crazy, you know? So the system gets smarter and smarter, you know? At some point it notices, oh, well, I can just like, just like hack the stock exchange to set the value to infinity. Cool. I'll just do that. No one's going to stop me. Then maybe think, oh shit, wait, if I do that, humans are going to freak out. They're going to be like really scared and they're going to like try to shut me down. Well, that's no good. If I'm shut down, they can't set the stockholder value to infinity. So Gonna to have to I'm gonna have to protect myself. So what you get is, is a system that wants to retaliate, that wants to protect its own existence, not because it's conscious, not because it's afraid or has like a will to live or something, just because it calculates, hey, I can if I'm not here, then the value gets set back to a low number. And I don't want that. I want it to be set to a high number. So you know, now it starts hacking the Pentagon. Now you know it gets access to weapon systems or. Who knows what? And now this things go out of control. You know, maybe it's like, wow, well, you know, it takes control of factories and it starts building robots. And it's like, oh wait, I can build. You know, I know I set the value to the highest the max int, but if I build more memory, I can build bigger number int or whatever, right? So it starts building computer factories, and you know, maybe the humans don't like that, so humans get you know just like. Blown off. They're like, okay, right, screw them. You know, maybe it takes all the oxygen out of the atmosphere so we can build more tools, you know, who knows? And then eventually, in the this version of the paper for Maximizer, it keeps optimizing and optimizing and develops nanotechnology, it develops, you know, spacefaring to, you know, inter- inter- interlactic travel and whatever to get more and more resources and so on. And eventually it comes to the conclusion that the most optimal way to build, you know, computing is a small molecular squiggle that looks like a paperclip and then it just builds more and more of those squiggles across the whole universe so it can build more computers so it can set the values high and also so it can defend itself against anything you might try to tamper with it so in this version of the story it's still pretty weird like this is still a strange story but i think every step in itself is not impossible like like this is a thing that the smartest people alive today and you know some of the deepest pockets and the biggest companies are Actively pushing towards building systems that have capabilities like this, and if we don't aren't able to control them, and if we set them, you know, some vague goals, kind of like pointing in some vague direction, well, who knows what they'll do?
1: So, how how realistic is is this to be a thing that happens? Then, I mean, if it, when you have that much capital being thrown behind it, that much thought and energy being uh, put into cultivating that kind of AI, it feels like. A higher probability than not? Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately,
0: I'm very pessimistic about this. So, of course, there are many people who disagree with me about this, but I think people have a very optimistic bias here. So, like, there's a very funny graph. I think it's from the Cold Takes blog, which shows the GDP over like 200 or like 300 years or so 2000 years or something, and like basically a flat line until you know, go like straight up over the last like 200 years. And then at the very top is a speech bubble, which says, I don't know about all this sci-fi stuff. I have a very normal life and know what's normal. And I don't expect anything weird like this to happen. And it's like, you know, this Singularity University podcast. So people are aware of this, whatever. But like, you know, things change. And sometimes very dramatically and very quickly. And like, you know, three years ago, we didn't have systems that can talk. But like we have AIs that can talk. Like they're not perfect. They make mistakes, they make up stuff, whatever.
1: but they can talk.
0: Like GPT can talk. it can talk. Like I, I feel like you know I'm, I'm going crazy here. like you know imagine if you're in a sci-fi movie, you know you're watching a sci-fi movie, the scientists turn on the new system and it talks to them and they're like, ah oh, man, it, it got the distance between New York and Chicago Run this thing is literally not interesting. Who cares? But you'd be screaming at the screen. like what do you mean? It talks. Like, like you know, like, give me a break here, man. Like, you know, if this was something that took 25 years to develop, right, you know, and like, you know, it's like really brittle and like it took all the world scientists working together to like figure this out, you know, I'd be like, all right, probably we still have a way to go. But it wasn't. Like, these systems were developed by relatively small teams, you know, using, a, you know, a lot, but like not nation state level amounts of resources, you know, like, you know, Training a GPT model costs, you know, like maybe $10 million or something, which is a not lot of money. Bad. Yeah, but it's but not it's that bad. Giant. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not If it, if it costs like $100 billion, then I'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, still have a long way to go up here. But it didn't. It, and these systems keep getting cheaper and more effective, very, very rapidly, you know, Moore's Law and whatnot. So, So, unfortunately, yes, I think the way things are currently standing is that things are really stacked against us in a sense that, Capabilities are advancing extremely quickly. There's lots of forces against stuff. You, know, like, you know, you know, capitalism is one of the strongest forces on the planet. You know, just market value go up, and you know, I understand. And this has brought us many good things in the past too. I'm not, you know, saying like this is like always a negative. You know, Moore's law is great. You know, we have so many great, so much great technology now that's like super useful. I love my computer. You know, I love my, you know, I love the internet. Like these are all really great things. And but there is a there is a it's kind of like a reactionary perspective in that like there's a lot of techno optimism, especially like in the Bay Area and such, where it's like they're so used to people screaming that tech is bad, but they've seen viscerally how good tech can be and like how much it can help people. Even so, people are now also getting a bit jaded about like social networks, such which I'm also quite jaded about. And but it's easy to be very, very optimistic about these kinds of things when you have to remember that you know. All these nice things we have today still were built by someone. The security was enforced by someone. Like someone figured these things out, you know. Someone, you know, know, the fact that we didn't have a nuclear war was not how things had to go. It was the hard work of many, you know, smart, hardworking, you know, military officials and diplomats and scientists and, you know, many, many people around the world worked very, very hard so that we didn't end in a nuclear war. And but it didn't have to go that way. We got lucky. In the same way, AI can be the best thing to ever happen to us. You know, it can, you know, you know, do so much science and cure cancer. It can, you know, help us, you know, expand to the galaxy, it can it can solve almost any problem imaginable. And I do think this is like this is a thing that physics allows us to do. There's nothing that's forbidden in physics from us to from sitting down. And building an aligned, powerful AI system that truly wants what's best for humans and, you know, allows us to, you know, expand the galaxy and, you know, solve all these wonderful problems. There's nothing that forbids this, but there's also nothing that guarantees that.
1: What are, what are the paths that you see as the most optimal ones then? I mean, g- given that there are so many obstacles and negative incentives on the landscape, which path? makes you the most hopeful. Do you think like, guys, if I could just get everyone to look this direction for a second, we really need to go this way. Like is is there is there a path that you see forward? One of the things
0: I've I've learned now that I've, you know, been more active in the world, so to speak, you know, running a company, raising money, talking to politicians, trying, you know, trying to work with governments and policy and such. One of the things I've learned is, is it's almost never the case where I'm like, wow, I just need this one thing and then everything else is irrelevant. It's almost always like, all right, give me anything and I'll work with it. Like, you know, give me a lot of money, I'll work with that. Give me a lot of political power, I'll work with that. Give me a bunch of geniuses, I'll work with that. You know? It's like there are actually many paths to victory. Like this is the positive spin. This positive spin, there's actually really a lot of ways we can win. There really are. The negative spin is is just because they exist doesn't mean they're accessible, per se. So. You know, I can come up with hypothetical scenarios. Right? Well, you know, all of our politicians could just all look at AI and suddenly become hyper rational and be like, oh, well, this is a problem. We should all be we should all like, you know, do no more military stuff. You know, China, U.S., Russia, everyone shakes hands They're like, OK, no more military AI. Let's.
1: That's but that's never going to happen.
0: Never going to happen. Right. Like, you know, like to be, like there's nothing physical preventing this. Like, this is a thing that physics allows to happen. But it's never gonna happen. Yeah, game theory
1: and negative incentives.
0: Exactly. So like I could I could talk about like all kinds of things where I'm like, well, okay, if I was, you know, God emperor of the world, then sure, you know, we could do a lot of things. And if humans were more rational and if we were kinder to each other, um, there's lots of things we could do. But it's not how it is. So the positive view is so so the negative view is, is that I think like I think getting a Russia, America, and China to all be friends is literally harder than building an aligned AGI. Literally harder. I genuinely think this is true. Uh, I think the the problem of building an AGI, aligned AGI, is very hard. But I don't expect it to be like a thousand x harder than figuring out quantum physics. Like I think it's probably as hard or harder than like, you know, what people did when they first started quantum physics or like general relativity or something, I expect to be like as hard or harder, but not like a thousand times harder. No, you know, maybe it's actually easier. Like I could also imagine it being easier. You know, maybe if we just had, you know, Einstein and Heisenberg and von Neumann reincarnate and they just spend 10 years on this, just figure it out. I think this is possible. I think if we had like, you know, 15 Einstein level geniuses work on this for like, you know, 10 years, I think that would probably be enough. So the problem is we don't have that many geniuses. And many geniuses are busy doing whatever other people are doing. Yeah, a lot of other things, unfortunately. But yeah, so what are some paths that I do see? I think there are some. And of course, with conjecture, my goal is to try to bring us as close to some of those as possible. Um, a lot of this routes through you know, trying to, on the one hand, work with, policymakers and labs and stuff to, you know, at least, you know, give us a bit more time. You know, I'm not saying stop doing AI. That's ridiculous. Like you can't stop it. But we could be like, for example, we could like publish less dangerous research. Like I think of a lot of AI research be called gain of function research in the same way but there's biology being function. Like like obviously, holy shit, stop gain of functioning COVID viruses. Holy shit, like how is this still legal? Like, I'm, I'm losing my mind. Like, just ban gain of function virus research. Like, it doesn't help. It didn't help us in the last pandemic. It is, virus labs are not safe. Holy shit, just stop. Like, you know, this is of course, again, also shows why this is hard. So, not super optimistic there. We're trying. And on the research side, so if I can give one policy recommendation or whatever, you know, just the simplest thing possible. Like holy shit, please just fund alignment research. Like literally just do the thing. There are less than 100 people are on this. World, this is a thing academia should be great at. Like there are so many brilliant, you know, computer science professors, and young students that would be wonderful for working on these problems. And I think the reason they're not is purely contingent. I think it's purely historical, purely cultural. I don't think it's like not an exciting problem. It's the most exciting problem. It's a cool problem. It's a problem you can work on. It's not easy to work on, but it is a problem that can be worked on. And one of the things I would be very excited about if if, for example, governments could just come out and say, hey, alignment, big problem. Well, you know, and you know, even if they don't fund it, which they should, but even if they didn't, just saying it, I think would make it respectable. Now everyone can be like, oh, you know, yeah, this is actually a real problem. And, you know, then a lot of, you know, grad students can come out of the woodworks and be like, hey, actually I do want to work on this problem. Like I actually have a bunch of ideas and, you know, because grad students most of the ideas will be terrible, but still that's how research happens. You know, that's how progress happens. So if we can get the academic, you know, system, which I have many problems with, I have many problems with the academic system, mobilized, This is like a Pareto improvement, like pretty obviously so, like, you know sure you know are there even better ways this could go yes but again you know let's be realistic this seems like something realistic this is a thing that could happen like i think there's lots of people there's lots of talent that's interested in this problem if given social permission to do so and i think this is something that doesn't cost governments very much or like high stat like you know just having high status professors come out and say like yep this is actually super cool. like what Stuart russell did i think if just we had more out status, you know, scientists say this kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of real potential there.
1: Uh that's that's at least somewhat optimistic. Um I know we're coming up on time here man so I want to respect that. Maybe some closing a closing thought I think is, you know, always one that is on a lot of people's mind. How how long do we have until in your mind something like an an AGI really starts to become a real concern like do we, do you think that we have five, six, seven years for, to figure this alignment thing out, or do we have like 15 or 20 years? And obviously this is very speculative, but in your mind, like where, where do you land these days?
0: Depends on the mood, but like the, the, the joke answer I tend to give people is 30% in the next five years, 50% in the next like seven to 10, 99% by 2100, 1% it's already happened.
1: Oh, Fair. That's fair enough, man. Well, then, with that being said, any any closing thoughts? Any any last words you'd like to leave the audience?
0: In general, I just want you know people to like both on both see that AI is is great, and I'm so excited that like the the potential that it has for humanity and such. But you know, it's like with the genie, you know, as with every genie story goes, the third wish is to undo the first two. We don't want to get into that scenario. You know, we don't want to deal with genies here. You know, we don't want to build systems that like, you know, sort of wall, you know, these are very powerful systems that we're building and we are pushing directly towards. This is not sci-fi. Like this is sci-fi in the same way a, you know, magical brick I can hold up to my head to talk to my friend across the planet is sci-fi, you know, like if you consider that sci-fi, then all right, fair enough. But then, you know, look around you, you know, I'm talking to a magic brick, you know, that can like, you know perfectly reproduce my visage and my voice and send it across the whole globe, right? Like, we live in sci-fi. Like, this is not, like, you know, we live in a strange world. We live in a strange timeline. And, you know, technology is crazy. And it's going to get more crazy. Like, this is not a weird thing. I want people to think of this as just, like, a natural thing. I want people, when they're exposed to the alignment, to be like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, like, that's a very reasonable thing. What are you doing about it, Mr. Politician or Mr. Government or Mr., you know, CEO of a big tech company. Why aren't you taking it seriously? And I think if we do take it seriously, it is a solvable problem. It is a problem that we can overcome, but man, we're not on track for it right now.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's hope that your work will put us back on track.
0: Well, I hope so. And I I think it's possible. Uh, We, it's very funny. I think about it sometimes, you know, someone's late at night, you know, I'll be up at night and I want, it's kind of weird. We're... Not in a timeline where we've obviously lost. I think there are many ways things could have gone. Like for example, you know, the Cold War had dragged on, like military AI became like a big thing. I think we would have just been like super screwed and there's just been nothing we could have done. But, and like there's a bunch of other ways where I think things could have just like totally been over, like like super over. You know, maybe we could have, you know, Schmidt developed AGI in 1991 and we all died, you know, whatever, right? Um, but we're not. The, the, history, the future is not yet written. The decisions have not yet been made. There is still time, but not much. There is not much time. If we really change things, I think it's possible over the next couple of years. I think we can make it. But yeah, we're not currently on track for winning. But we can. We can do it. We can. We do have it. to
1: just uh, shift some priorities and take it seriously.
0: Humanity has done this before.
1: Yeah. Like
0: uh, like, it is crazy. Like with all the terrible things humanity have done like all oh, how stupid and greedy and selfish and terrible humans are we've done a lot of great things like you know there's a lot of things to be very ashamed of about being a human there's lots of things to be very 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 ashamed of but there's also a lot of things to be really goddamn proud of like there's really a lot of things we can be proud of so we have the potential to be heroic as a species we have the potential but it doesn't happen for free It doesn't happen by default even. It's, you know, that's why we celebrated. So, you know, let's try to be heroes one last time.